Holy Father in heaven, once more we are here to fellowship with you. We ask, Lord, that you would come and dwell with us in the person of your Holy Spirit. We pray that the moments spent in listening to your word shall be reviving, edifying, and shall give us strength for the labor that we have to perform. Lord, we are on our journey and we want to make it to your kingdom. We want for every sin to be removed from our lives. As it stands, we are not where we ought to be yet. We pray, Lord, that your word shall sanctify us today. We ask, Lord, that your spirit shall be in us, abiding in us, and taking away every filthiness from us. Lord, please put your words in my lips. Touch my lips, Lord, with the living coals from heaven, that I may speak blessings to everyone, that we all may be led closer to the character of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Do this and take the glory. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, June 27 A Monument of Stones And they took Absalom and cast him into a great pit in the wood and laid a very great heap of stones upon him. 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 17 David and all his company, warriors and statesmen, old men and youth, the women and little children, in the darkness of night, crossed the deep and swift-flowing river. Hushai's counsel had achieved its object, gaining for David opportunity for escape. But the rash and impetuous prince could not be long restrained, and he soon set out in pursuit of his father. The place of battle was a wood near the Jordan in which the great numbers of Absalom's army were only a disadvantage to him. Among the thickets and marshes of the forest, these undisciplined troops became confused and unmanageable. Absalom, seeing that the day was lost, had turned to flee, when his head was caught between the branches of a wide-spreading tree, and his mule going out from under him. He was left helplessly suspended, a prey to his enemies. In this condition, he was found by a soldier who, for fear of displeasing the king, spared Absalom, but reported to Joab what he had seen. Joab was restrained by no scruples. He had befriended Absalom, having twice secured his reconciliation with David, and the trust had been shamelessly betrayed. But for the advantages gained by Absalom, through Joab's intercession, this rebellion with all its horrors could never have occurred. Now it was in Job's power at one blow to destroy the instigator of all this evil, and he took three darts in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom. Thus perished the instigators of rebellion in Israel. Ahithophel had died by his own hand. The princely Absalom, whose glorious beauty had been the pride of Israel, had been cut down in the vigor of his youth. His dead body 
thrust into a pit and covered with a heap of stones in token of everlasting reproach. During his lifetime, Absalom had reared for himself a costly monument in the king's dale, but the only memorial which marked his grave was that heap of stones in the wilderness. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is A Monument of Stones. A monument of stones is a symbol to represent the end of everybody who goes against the fifth commandment. The, Lord, the commandment of God says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long in the earth, in the land which thou dwellest. But that was not so for Absalom. We left off with Absalom listening to the counsel of Hushai that was one that was going to bring about his destruction. Ahitophel went to kill himself when he realized that he wasn't listened to because he already knew the end of everything. Absalom was an undisciplined youth, knew nothing about battle. If he knew, he would have understood that the counsel given to him by Hushai was sure to bring defeat to him because it is not by the multitude of armies that battles are won. If you go and place yourself with your multitude in a place where the multitude cannot have effect on just a little people, then there's no hope for the multitude. And this was the kind of counsel Hushai gave to him. He took his massive army to go and make a display, a show of force on David, his own father, to destroy his father. And let us see how it turned out for him. Second Samuel 17, reading from verse 25, says, And Absalom made Amasa captain of the host instead of Joab. And verse 26 says, So Israel and Absalom pitched in the land of Gilead. In chapter, 20, chapter 18, reading from verse 1, says, And David numbered the people that were with him, and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. And David sent forth a third part of the people under the hand of Joab and the third part under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, and the third part on the hand of Etai, the Gittite. And the king said unto the people, I will surely go forth with you myself also. But the people answered, Thou shalt not go forth, for if we flee away, they will not care for us. Neither if half of us die, will they care for us. But now thou art worth ten thousand of us. Therefore now it is better that thou succor us out of the city. I'll pause here for a while. You see, this decision made by the people when they told David, don't go with us, is a very important one. It reminds me of the same kind of decisions that the reformers made whenever they were going for battle against the prelates and the, and the papish despots. There was a man named Zwingli, Ulrich Zwingli from Zurich in Switzerland. He was a reformer. And there was a time when he was called to battle to come and defend his faith for saying things that the Bible supported against the tradition of the church. And the people said, no, you will not go with us. Reading from Great Controversy, page 182, paragraph 1, it says, The disputation was appointed to be held at Baden, but Zwingli was not present. The Council of Zurich, suspecting the designs of the papists and warned by the burning piles kindled in the papal cantons for confessors of the gospel, forbade their pastor to expose himself to this peril. At Zurich, he was ready to meet all the partisans that Rome might send, but to go to Baden, where the blood of the martyrs for the truth had been shed, was to go to certain 
death. Ecolampadius and Hela were chosen to represent the reformers while the famous Dr. Eck, supported by a host of learned doctors and prelates, was the champion of Rome. But what, what does this show? Just the same thing. David with his small army, he didn't go. It was just here in the case of Zurich, of um, Ulrich Zwingli, it was just Ecolampadius and Hela that went to their small army. And then there came Dr. Eck, Absalom with his learned doctors and prelates, a multitude of people. Going on in the reading, it says, Though Zwingli was not present at the conference, his influence was felt. The secretaries were also cho- were all chosen by the papists, and others were forbidden to take notes on pain of death. Notwithstanding this, Zwingli received daily a faithful account of what was said at Baden. A student in attendance at the disputation made a record each evening of the arguments that, th- that they presented. These papers, Two other students undertook to deliver with daily letters to Colampadius to Zwingli at Zurich. The reformer answered, giving counsel and suggestions. His letters were written by night and the students returned with them to Baden in the morning. To elude the vigilance of the guards stationed at the city, at the city gates, these messengers brought baskets of poultry on their heads and they were permitted to pass without hindrance. Thus, Zwingli maintained the battle with his wily antagonists. He has labored more, said Myconius, by his meditations, his sleepless nights, and the advice which he transmitted to Baden than he would have done by discussing in person in the midst of his enemies. End of quote. And uh, you, see, you see how it applies to the story of David. And we can learn lessons from here. Don't take yourself headlong into a battle that you know that it is you who they are looking for and they might actually destroy you. I mean, literally kill you. Do not put yourself on the line like that. Let those who are more... Um, who will arouse less prejudice go for the battle are you going to preach is there a place where someone is coming you come and preach calling you to come and preach and you know that the people there has a, have a prejudice against you there's no need for you to go you can send someone else to do the work who they will have little prejudice against and from behind Zwingli was doing and like David did give counsel meditate pray for the people that they may win and that was exactly what david did he didn't go with them to the battle but he prayed he meditated and he sent counsel so that they won the battle going on in verse 5 of second samuel 18 it says and the king commanded joab and abishai and itai saying deal gently for my sake with the young man even with absalom and all the people heard when the king gave all the captains charge concerning Absalom. So the people went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was in the wood of Ephraim, where the people of Israel were slain before the servants of David. And there was there a great slaughter that day of 20,000 men. For the battle was, was there scattered over the face of all the country, and the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. Wait, hold on. Why is it that the wood devoured more people than the sword? Hushai's counsel. And then somebody can just give a wink there. It was Hushai who gave them that counsel to go to that particular position. Hushai knew that when they go there, being inexperienced in battle, the woods will consume them. So 20,000 died, but who killed them? It was the woods. Have you noticed that when God is fighting for his people, the people themselves don't necessarily need to fight for themselves? Remember the battle of Gideon? how it was just shouting, only shouting, that's all. They just stood around the camp, shouted and blew the trumpet and the people said to kill themselves. Do you remember the battle of Joshua when he went to the nine kings that wanted to come and attack Gibeon? What did he do? He just chased them, that's all. They ran to a mountain. As they were coming down, hailstones destroyed them. And the record in the Bible that those who were, 
destroyed by the hillstones were more than those who were destroyed by um, Joshua and his army. How about when Caleb went to Hebron to take over Hebron? What does the Bible record? The Lord drove them out. Joshua, before his death, recorded that they did not labor for the land, that the Lord himself drove out the Canaanites. The Lord drove out the children of Anak, that Caleb did not even really need to do anything to them. When the Lord fights for us, that is usually the case. You will find out that other things will fall in place for you. And like I have always said before, when the Lord has chosen someone for a particular work, the Lord will magnify that person's name and give the person victories. As for Samson, as for Absalom, we are seeing now, the Lord did not magnify him. He did not allow him to win this battle. He lost it and the people that were with him to show that the Lord was not with him. Going on in verse 9, it says, And Absalom met the servants of David, and Absalom rode upon a mule, and the mule went under the thick boughs of a great oak, and his head caught hold of the oak, and he was taken up between the heaven and the earth, and the mule that was under him went away. Then then a young man saw him, a soldier, but he didn't touch him because they heard David say that nobody should touch him. And he went to tell Joab, and Joab said, Why didn't you kill him? Why are you coming to tell me? You should have killed him. And the man said, But I heard David say we shouldn't kill him. And Joab said, I, I, I cannot be arguing with you. Verse 14, Joab said, I may not tarry with you. And he took three darts in his hand and thrust him through, thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And ten young men that bear Joab's armor compassed about and smote Absalom and slew him. And Joab blew the trumpet, and the people returned from pursuing after Israel. For Joab held back the people. And they took Absalom and cast him into a great pit in the wood and laid a very great heap of stones upon him. And all Israel fled everyone to his tent. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and reared up for himself a pillar which is in the king's dale. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And he called the pillar after his own name, and it is called unto this day Absalom's place. So here we see a sad end, but yet worthy end, to the life of this unruly, rebellious, ungrateful youth called Absalom. The Bible says in the book of Exodus 21 verse 17, and he that curseth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Leviticus 20 verse 9 says, For everyone that curses his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. He hath cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. Absalom did not see David as anything more than a person who stood in his way to fame and popularity. He didn't see him as his father. If he did, he wouldn't have treated him as he did sleeping with his concubines, conspiring with Ahithophel to take over the kingdom from him. The kingdom was his, it's his father's own. But because he saw David as a rival, he did these things. The Bible says in Proverbs 30 verse 17, The eye that mocketh at his father, and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out, and the young eagles shall eat it. And what does this mean? Matthew Henry, speaking about this, says, who they are that belong to that generation, not only those that curse their parents in the heat of passion, but those that mock at them, though it be but with a scornful eye, looking with disdain upon them because of their bodily infirmities, or looking sour or dogged at them when they instruct or command, impatient at their, at their checks and angry at them. God takes notice with what eye children look upon their parents and will reckon for the leering look and the, and the cast of, of the evil eye. 
as well as for the bad language given them. There are some children who will look at their parents up and down with their eye up and down and get so offended with them. God takes note of these things. If you mock your parents, just as, Ibra- as Absalom did, he said, those who despise to obey their parents also, all of them who are not dutiful to the parents' commands, especially when they scorn their mother that bore them in sorrow, in these, these things, the Lord takes note of it. What will be their doom? Just like Absalom, they will have a monument of stones. Anyone who dishonors their parents shall have be set up as monuments of God's vengeance. They will be hanged just like Absalom in chains. In one way or the other, figuratively, literally, it will happen to them. The dead bodies will be under a heap of stones indeed. The truth is that when parents refuse to punish their children who are rebellious, God will do it. Reading from Matthew Henry, he says, if men do not punish undutiful children, God will, and will load those with the greatest infamy that conduct themselves haughtily towards their parents. Many who have come to an ignominious and have end have owned that the wicked courses that brought them to be to it began in a contempt of their parents' authority. Now, looking at the life of Absalom, we have to ask ourselves the question: Why did Absalom scheme this thing? Throughout all the Bible and the story of all the kings and even among the hidden. What Absalom did here was not a natural thing at all. Absalom had coveted the throne of David, his own father, and had lost love for his father who so loved him. Absalom has lost that love to the point that he was willing to dethrone his father and to kill him in cold blood. Was he justified in doing this? Are we justified to take a wrong course of action because of someone else's feelings because Absalom had this contempt for David because David had sinned in the case of Bathsheba and Uriah? When David, after Absalom was destroyed, David came back to Israel, to the throne. And the Bible records that to show you the the deep repentance of David, that he put away from him those concubines and he never ever went into them anymore. That is, he didn't even have any sexual intercourse with them, but of course he took care of them. David had indeed sinned, but does it justify Absalom? This leads us to talk about the relation of children to their parents and also subjects to their leaders or employees to employers and servants to their masters. It is very easy to see those in position do wrong and speak evil of them, point out their error and cry them down, speak evil of them, but are we justified in doing this? Also we may see them doing evil and choose to dethrone them. Are we justified? Are we justified in using the evil of another person as the excuse to do evil ourselves? The very fact that we can point to and spot the error in another person's life makes our responsibility even greater and our sin greater when we do the same thing that they did. Our sin becomes more grievous. Reading from Steps to Christ, page 32, paragraph 1, we are told, The impenitent, just like Absalom, sometimes excuse themselves by saying of professed Christians, I am as good as they are. They are no more self-denying, sober, or circumspect in their conduct than I am. They love pleasure and self-indulgence as well as I do. Thus, they make the faults of others an excuse for their own neglect of duty. I'll continue the reading. This is exactly what Absalom would have been thinking in his mind. Look at my father. I'm just as good as he is. He's not any more self-denying than myself. He's not any more sober or circumspect in his conduct. He loves pleasure just like myself and self-indulgence just like I do. And it says here, Thus, they make the faults of others an excuse for their own neglect of duty. 
but the sins and defects of others do not excuse anyone for the Lord has not given us an unerring human pattern. The spotless Son of God has been given as our example and those who complain of the wrong cause of professed Christians are the ones who should show better lives and nobler examples. If they have so high a conception of what a Christian should be or what a king should be or what your, or what your master or parent should be, if you have such a high conception of what your parents should be or what your employer should be, is not your own sin the much greater? They know what is right and yet they refuse to do it. End of quote. So now, from this quote, from this, what are we supposed to do then? When we see our parents or leaders fall into sin, we are not to be influenced or disrespect them because of it. We are not to dishonor them or disregard them because of it. Many children there are who do this on account of something which they were privy to know, to see, to hear or to know about their parents. They feel like their father or mother has lost any moral right to counsel them or correct them. They even go as far as disrespecting them just as Absalom did to David. God will certainly judge for these things. For it is a breaking of the commandments of God. When God said, honor thy father and thy mother, there were no conditions given. He didn't say honor them only if they don't commit adultery. Honor them only if they don't do this or don't do that. No, there was no condition. Honor thy father and thy mother. Even the evil can be respected, but only God is to be obeyed in all things. Honor thy father and thy mother, mother doesn't mean that you should obey them in all things. No. Your father may be wicked and all. Doesn't mean you should follow his wickedness or follow his counsel to do wicked things. No. Honor is not about that. It is about respect in the way you speak to them, the way you talk about them, and the way you relate with them. It's not necessarily about obeying everything they say. Our highest and sole obedience is to God. But we can honor humans, we can respect humans, we can regard humans, especially our parents. First Peter chapter 2, verse 17 downward says, Honor all men. Love the bread brotherhood. Do you hear that? Honor all men. Some people who are Christians feel, oh no, it's only God I worship. Because of that, they cannot pay obeisance to people who are in position or people who are their parents. There's nothing wrong in bowing to a king to honor them. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not the kind of bowing that is done to a God. There's nothing wrong in that. It says, 1 Peter 2 verse 17, Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. What's the meaning of all fear? That's with proper reverence and respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. Reading it in another version, it says, You servants must submit yourselves to your masters and show them complete respect, not only to those who are kind and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Another version says, Servants, take orders from your masters with all respect, not only if they are good and gentle, but even if they are bad-humored. So, why is it that God says respect all men, especially your employees, kings, your parents, in this manner? And I've said some ways why we can, how we can disrespect people. The eye, the look in the eye, how you talk about them also. All those things are ways in which we show respect, show respect or disrespect. Do you mock when they are not there? Do you look at them with a scornful eye or with disdain? Do you mock their bodily infirmities or you are rebellious towards them? Those are ways we show disrespect. We must conduct ourselves in the right way while obeying only God. It doesn't mean that when your employee or the king or your parent tells you to do something wrong that because of respect you do it. No, you don't do it. That's what God will 
requite it against you. You have your personal decision to make. It's your choice. So, why are we to respect all men, parents, leaders, and all? The reason is this. this listen, it says, the reason is this. We need to understand that people in position handle things that those who are not in position cannot understand. Satan assails them with great temptations and we are to pity them and pray for them, holding up their hands like Aaron and Hor did for Moses. If we see any evil in them, we are to forbear, move on. Because like they say, uneasy lies the head that wears a crown. You may think, oh why did David do this, why did he calm down? But it's been his position, you never know what you will do facing the kind of temptations that David faced, reading from Ministry of Healing to supply us reasons why we should respect our parents, employers, leaders, it says, Ministry of Healing page 493 says, every association of life calls for the exercise of self-control, forbearance and sympathy. We differ so widely in disposition, habits, education, that our ways of looking at things vary. We judge differently. Our understanding of truth, our ideas in regard to the conduct of life are not in all respects the same. There are no two whose experiences are alike in every particular. The trials of one are not the trials of another. The duties that one finds light are to another most difficult and perplexing. Do you understand? You may say, oh, why can this man fall for adultery and you look at him contemptibly? But you also have your own weakness. That duty which is so easy for you is hard for another person. And that which is so hard for you is easy for another person and none is the better. And then, like I said, people who are holding position, they are under great temptation. Continuing the reading, it says, many have borne so few burdens. Their hearts have known so little real anguish, just like Absalom. They have felt so little perplexity and distress in behalf of others that they cannot understand the work of the true burden bearer. No more capable are they of appreciating his burdens than is the child of understanding the care and toil of his burdened father. The child may wonder at his father's fears and perplexities. These appear needless to him. But when years of experience shall have been added to his life, when he himself comes to bear its burdens, he will look back up upon his father's life and understand that which was once so incomprehensible. Bitter experience has given him knowledge. The work of many a burden bearer is not understood. His labors are not appreciated until death lays him low. When others take up the burdens he has laid down and meet the difficulties he encountered, they can understand how his faith and courage were tested. Often then, the mistakes they were so quick to censure are lost sight of. Experience teaches them sympathy. God permits men to be placed in positions of responsibility. When they err, he has power to correct or to remove them. We should be careful not to take into our hands the work of judging that belongs to God. End of quote. Absalom was taking upon his hands the work of judging that belongs to God. He was not any better than David his father. David was way, way better than him in purity, in righteousness and holiness. But here it is that this young boy thought that he would judge his own father to destroy him. He lost respect for him because he saw 
that his father had lost influence on account of his sins. He despised his father. Let us not do that. I know that we have parents who do wrong things or employers. Let us not despise them on account of their weaknesses. Let us try to help them. Let us try to talk to them or assist them with respect and regard. That's what we are told. With respect, address the issue or forbear. Because you are not in that position and you don't know the temptations that come with it. Therefore, forbear. Continuing the reading, it says, The conduct of David towards Saul has a lesson. By command of God, Saul had been anointed as king over Israel. Because of his disobedience, the Lord declared that the kingdom should be taken from him. And yet, how tender and courteous and forbearing was the conduct of David towards him. In seeking the life of David, Saul came into the wilderness and unattended entered the very cave where David with his men of war lay hidden. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. The Saviour bids us, Judge not, that you be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what, with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Remember that soon your life record will pass in review before God. Remember too that he has said, Thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For thou that judgest doest the same thing. First Samuel chapter 24, verse 46 and Matthew 7, verse 1 and 2, Romans 2, verse 1. End of quote. Do you see what David did when he was in the same position as Absalom? On account of Saul's sins, the Lord had already proclaimed twice that he was rejected. Twice. And everybody knew that. Samuel said it in the presence of the soldiers. Everybody knew that Saul had been rejected of the Lord. Did that give David the effrontery to kill Saul when he had the opportunity? No. He didn't judge Saul. So also with us. We should learn because David not he didn't just say he wouldn't judge Saul, but he still respected Saul. When Saul died, he wept. But not so with Absalom. Absalom lost respect for his father. And we should learn not to do that. Learn from David. Has someone gone into evil like King Saul? Is the person your boss respect him still? Is the person your parent regard them and honor them still? Do not look down on them. Some children look at the pictures of the past of their parents and say of them, that and mom was this or that and now they are telling us not to do the things that they did students say it to their teachers too they see their parents today in sin and begin to judge them but this is not well many children have no idea what they will do were they to be in the same position as their parents how many would not have done what david did were they to be in his shoes we talk about david um first of all staying in his house when other people were supposed to go to battle Yes, it was wrong. But were you to be in David's shoes, would you have done differently? We talk about how he covered his crime when he sinned against um, Bathsheba. Many of us will see the naked woman every time we fall for it in pornography. Many times, David fell, but it was just that once. But today, people are addicted to pornography. And after that, some, it is not just pornography, it is real thing like David did fornication. But after that, what did David do? He covered his tracks. He killed Uriah. After that, his sin was brought to him. He didn't go further. He repented. We heard of a man like Jeffrey Epstein. We heard of the Jeffrey Epstein case. 
See what nobility and royalty can do in the face of scandal. The Prince of England, Prince Andrew, denied every allegation of child sexual abuse, but David owned up to his own sins. Jeffrey Epstein is dead now, but Nathan was not killed. Epstein was the one who set everything up, recorded it, and ensured, not just ensured, but he knew about the sins of royalty. Now that it was about to be exposed, what did he do? What did, they, what did royalty do? They tried to silence it, threatened the news media, the mainstream media, people who wanted to expose it, tried to kill people. Epstein died a mysterious death. They claim he hung himself, but oh, come on, we know that that was not the case. Prisons are made in such a way that prisoners cannot hang themselves. The people know, the people who make the prisons make it in such a way that there will be nothing in that prison that anybody can use to hang himself. The man was killed. But David did not kill Nathan. So many people were they to be in David's shoes, they would also most likely do the same thing. Were I to be in Prince Andrew's shoes, I certainly know what I am supposed to do. But regardless of that, the truth is, I really don't know what I am capable of doing. We know what we should do, but you really don't know what you will do. You never know what you would actually do were you to be in such a situation like David did. So that is why. We must look at other people's sins in humility and fear, knowing that we also can be in the same situation and are capable of the same evil we see in others. When you hear of a man or a woman who was in adultery or in any scandal, a lady who aborted a baby or any leader involved in the scandal, it must not be with respect to adultery, it can also be with theft or anything like that. Take it to God and ask the question, Lord, who shall be able to stand? Make their fall your fall and pray for them as you are praying for yourself. Absalom was beautiful to look upon but his heart was very ugly and vile. What greater vileness can there be than that which has lost all trouble for filial relationship to the point of coveting his father's property and wanting to kill him to obtain it. Many children today are waiting for their parents to die so that they can have their parents' property to themselves. This is not right. There are those who even sell their parents' property while they are still alive. This, this is the ugly behavior of Absalom, but that character of respect and reverence towards parents is what is beautiful. In light of this, we are to understand that we don't do well when we speak evil of leaders or at least we do not give them at least some consideration and forbearance and still honor them even though we see their mistakes. This is a lesson that we should learn, the mistake that, Adam, that Absalom made. In summary, I'll just remind us. Do not make other people's sin an excuse for us to engage in the same sin, especially if it is our parents or leaders. We must respect and reverence our parents, even if they are not the best of people. And the same goes to leaders and your masters and employers. Anything short of this is a sin in God's eyes and makes us to be like Absalom. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your parents. Have consideration for burden bearers because you don't know what they are passing through. Remember that you never know the perplexities that surround a particular position. So be careful how you judge and speak of other people's faults and their sins and their mistakes because with what judgment you judge, it shall be judged unto you and with what measure you meet, it shall be meted unto you. If you want God to forbear for you, forbear for others also. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, please help us not to have that monument of stone upon our heads as children who do not honor their parents. Lord, in time past, in one way or another, whether through the look in our eyes or through the thoughts we have entertained in our minds or through the look 
the stare and the glare or disobedience to our parents or our employers may have gone against your word and disobeyed you. Lord, please forgive us our sins. Cleanse us, O Lord. Forgive us. Help us, Lord, to walk in the way of righteousness and truth, doing what is right and well-pleasing in your sight. Help us, Lord, to respect our parents and elders and leaders, even though they are forward and wicked. Help us, Lord, to still honor them, I pray. Thank you, Lord, for hearing us. In Jesus' name, Amen.